the success or failure of this episode is deeply, deeply dependent oh, no. on how in the mood for it <laughs> you are to basically play the role of professional American religious historian oh, and lecture us a little bit on terms like First Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, and the Billy Graham Crusades, all by way of me shouting and jumping and pumping my fists in the air by way of being validated on a pop theory I've had for years, which is now validated by research <laughs> about something. Okay. That's my setup. How in the mood are you for wow. that? Wow. I mean, who could, who could ever say no to such a proposition? You are listening to Weird Religion. Hey, I'm Brian Doak. And I'm Leah Payne. This is Weird Religion. A podcast for people who know religion is weird, but love it anyway. I'm so happy that you accepted that bid. Otherwise... With trepidation. We'd be lost. With with trepidation, I would say. Okay, look, this is a great time. Friends, there's a payoff here. You stick with it. You're okay. going to get walloped by this payoff in a Wait, way that's just joy. I want to hear the premise first. Oh my gosh. Can okay. you tell me? All right, fine. <laughs> Based on new research that's been done, anchored by friend of the show, Ryan Burge. Not, yes. re not really a friend of the show, but um, he's, he's, he's great. He's great, great anyway. Way to go, Ryan Kind Burge. of like America's foremost statistical researcher of American religion. I think he will like that. that we're, we're declaring that it here on the show. We, as we have declared. Um, there's a book called The Great Dechurching. Yes. Who's leaving? Why are they going? And what will it take to bring them back? Of course, people leaving traditional forms of faith, a recurrent topic on the show, and one very mm -hmm. worth investigating and mm -hmm. understanding for all kinds of reasons. Yes. Here's my premise. Okay. I listened to a podcast, and we'll, we'll link the book, of course. We'll, I'll link a podcast in which one of the authors, Michael Graham, there's three authors, Jim Davis, Michael Graham, and then Ryan Burge is a, is a kind of with, a kind of co-author there. Cool, okay. With a foreword by yet another person. There's a lot of people involved in this book. Like, how many people does it take to write this book? Okay. Well, it's a big topic. So, I, the author, one of the authors, Michael Graham, had a statistic that I found stunning. Okay. And I'll tell you half the premise. How about we compromise? All right. I'll give you half. The great compromise. Okay. The great compromise of 2023 <laughs> is me giving you half this premise, which is that Michael Graham pointed out that the number of Americans who in the last couple of decades have left faith, this is all religious traditions, but because Christianity is most prominent and especially mm -hmm. evangelical Christianity, obviously the losses are going to be most here. Mm -hmm. The numbers are going to be the most weighted toward that, but okay. it, it, but this is truly inclusive. In the past couple of decades, the number of Americans who have left their faith communities total is more than the combined converts of the first great awakening, the second great awakening, and the Billy Graham crusades combined. The numbers who have left left all all forms of religious all forms practice. of religious practice, but so not just Christian, but, not just evangelical, but mostly Christianity though. Right. Of course, are we're more, predominantly Christian. are more than the religious gains. If you think of it as losses and gains of the first great awakening, the second great awakening and mm. the, and Billy Graham crusades combined, it's more than, and it amounts to 40 million Americans in, in how long the last couple decades, like the last 25 oh, years. Fascinating. Okay. And then the second part of my premise is about the reason why they left according to their research. I want to save that because it's a great plot twist. Okay. So let's just ignore that. But I thought first, just to get it, just to get a handle on the staggering, because that's kind of like a wow statistic. Let me, let me ask a follow-up question yeah, yeah, about of the statistic. Of is course. this measuring membership or church attendance or how, what is, do you know? I think it's measuring church attendance. Okay. 
Yeah, okay. like people who go to, you know, and they must have a way. And this is right. where this is where listeners, if you care about this a lot, you're going to have to do a deeper okay. dive. Okay. But it means people- I'm just curious. It means like people, you know, and the, and the author, Michael Graham, was talking about it and saying like, yeah, you know, there are a lot of people who will say, oh yeah, I'm a weekly church attender. But what they really mean is they're a twice a month church attender. But they're right. like, in our research, we're not going to zing people for that. We're just going to say, if you go to church every month, it's sure. like you're a church attender. You're like what, a church goer. What they're, what they're talking about are people who have dropped out of their faith communities. Completely. Completely. Right. Okay. However that's defined. And, and if you, if you want to dive deeper into the details, you can. But let's just take it on like a broad level. And let's just say probably whatever we would think of in our mind is probably not too far off from what the truth is. Okay. People who have dropped out of their religious communities. It's not that they hate their religious communities. It's not that they, you know, revoked with a formal letter, just stopped attending. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but in order to get a handle on this, this is where I, I wanted, I wondered if you'd be in the mood to just give us, give us, give us some um, intern here, three, three kind of, three kind of mini lectures on what is the, the I didn't even know when I first heard this, I was like, what is the first great awakening? And then the second great awakening, I kind of knew. And then the Billy Graham, I was getting warmer. Right. Well, that's within our lifetime. So take us back. What the first great awakening, what does that mean? Sure. What's meant by that? When people use the term first great awakening, and of course I should say that any historical term like this is it's contested whether or not it should be called the Scho- first scholarly moment. Awakening. Yes. Um, but <laughs> it is, I think of it, uh, this is the, the Leah Payne TM yep. um, definition. Yep. It was a series of revivals and a form of religious practice known as revivalism, mm-hmm. which includes, and it has become, you can tell it's become a really dominant strain of American religiosity, mm-hmm. which includes emotive preaching, enthusiastic practices, mm. um, uh, a lot of emotion in, in preaching, sometimes uh, an emotion in response to it, perhaps crying, perhaps shouting, um, these kinds mm-hmm. of things um, that we now associate with revival meetings. Yeah. Um, so th- this happened in the 18th century. So like the mid 18th century, the thirties and the forties, 1700s. Um, and some of the main um, people associated with this style of preaching and the style of services, a couple of the bigger, the more well-known figures would be mm. Jonathan Edwards. Classic. Right. And George Whitfield. Classic. An American actor, which by the way, can I just say, I mean, a British actor turned revivalist which I think is just that's so perfect. Much, that's so much earlier than I picture that stuff happening and also people reacting in strong ways. I just, it's like, I have a hard time picturing people doing it in that period. That's just know, like a historical know, prejudice. They have, have their little powdered wigs and yeah, stuff, exactly. but they're going for it. They were really yeah, doing it though. Exactly. Um, okay. um, so George Whitfield in particular is so interesting to me and there's a pretty new book about it, new and scholarly um, circles yeah. called George Whitfield evangelist for God and empire by Peter Choi. And, it's a really excellent book. We'll, that, link, we'll link it in the notes. Yes, yes. Um, it's a really excellent book that looks at how George Whitfield was not only a um, a representative of a, a form of religious practice that really took off in what would become the United States. Because if you remember, this is in the seventeenth or in the seventeen hundreds, yeah. Prior to the founding um, of the United States, right. But in the colonies to proto America, proto America, yeah. this, <laughs> these practices th- that Whitfield brought, he also was a, um, an embassy of British imperialism and oh. the form of religious practices that he, um, that he w- perpetuated 
also came with the expansion of um, the British Empire. Mm-hmm. So it, that is fascinating to me. I'm, you know, I'm super interested in how practices, um, religious practices, and imperialism or empire go together. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyhow, that was a little side note, but Love check it. it out. George Whitfield, Evangelist Forgotten Empire. Great. So these series of revivals um, really had a, I would say that they had, in terms of flavor, they had Presbyterian flavor. Okay. They had uh, pietism, which is a form of, of like a kind of an outgrowth of Lutheranism, mm. Puritanism. So it kind of was like on, on the reformed um, end of things, congregationalist okay. end of things. Very middle of the 18th century though, 1740s, yeah. 1750s. And if you have, to, you got to remember like, I mean, this is so obvious, but there just weren't that many people sure. compared to now sure. <laughs> in the sure. colonies. Sure. So when you said all of those numbers combined, so the at first, first one, I was a little asterisk because you the were like, colonies no, were impossible. tiny. Okay. No, 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 no. I'm just saying even if it oh, were that many people, there You're just saying, weren't that many okay, people. Okay, so this first one, the first Great Awakening, okay, we're talking about hundreds and thousands of people, not billions okay. and millions of people here. Yeah, I mean, just the scale yeah, would scale be much, much smaller. More. Okay, but um, but it was a major, it was a major, major moment. Major, big deal. And you know what Proto-American religious conversion. You know what was also major about it was the press that they created for it. Oh. So Whitfield was really famous for putting out his own literature about yeah. what he was doing and Good. being his own kind of mass media hype man. If which you don't is do like, it, who else is going to do it oh for you? Oh my goodness. That's a, that's a characteristic of revivalism that has continued. So he's a, he's an actor. He becomes this huge religious celebrity. Um, and that style of doing revivalism and yeah. revivals, I think it just never went anywhere but when people talk about the second great awakening yes let's move on to the second if there's a first there's gotta be second we gotta have a second asterisk right asterisk but by that one too yes um you don't you you know some people think that that's a misnomer but um, why why do they think that because like you just it's uh, too hard to say when it was or what it was big was it was it distinct from this other thing you know like there was it just kind of like one rolling revival train Throughout maybe, the throughout maybe. the centuries, um, I picture I picture things though happening more like in the later half of the nineteenth century, like all the you know the 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 things I can't even say what they are yeah. because I don't even know. But like, was this earlier? Or when this was this? Would have been um, uh, usually people talk about it as prior to the Civil War. Okay, um, but so it, we're talking in the nineteenth century, the the tail end of the eighteenth, beginning of the nineteenth century. Yeah. And um, more people now in the country, at least more people and a different flavor of okay. revivalism. This is where you get a lot of Methodists and Baptists okay. involved. Okay. Um, and so Methodist um, kind of Methodist, not just like the ecclesiology or how they structure churches, but how they do um, religious evangelism starts mm-hmm. to become part of it. And then after like after the Civil War, the Methodist brand of revivalism really takes off in mm-hmm. part because Methodists were really mobile. Mm. And so one could would, say they had a method even. They had a method. Yeah. And certain parts of their method that worked in England actually didn't work so, as well in the United States. But one of the things that worked really well was the idea that they would send these um, ministers out across this growing America, which yeah. eventually included you're smiling, and I'm, I have I'm a joke. Like I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I was trying to hide it. I have a joke about what? Methodists right now oh, that no. I actually just can't say on the air. I'll you tell it to can't? you later. No, I'll tell it to you later. 
Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Continue. <laughs> oh no, now I just want to hear that joke. No, but anyway, sorry, Methodists are going across the country um yeah. with uh, sometimes, you know, as little as a a Bible and and a mule and they're just like heading across I love it. the continent. Um so Methodism, once again, Methodism expanded alongside the American Empire. Mm-hmm. So as the United States became a thing as the transcontinental railroad took Okay. Um, European, primarily, um, the European settlers out, uh, West and, um, you know, these revivals and revival meetings were often kind of went hand in hand with doctrines of manifest destiny. Sure. I mean, you can't just take people's land unless you have some ideas. God needs to want that too. Yeah. So it's helpful if God wants it. If God doesn't want it, it's like, why are we doing it? Right. But there are lots of other different versions of, of, um, like the, the eight or the 19th century was a really great time for new religious movements. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and, and just really experimental, Mm -hmm revivalists um one of the big names from that era would be uh charles grandison finney charles um, finney charles finney who was a really fascinating character who who pioneered a lot of um kind of methodical ways of creating revival and creating emotional mm. experiences wow. that we still use today so yes why are you asking me was he part <laughs> of the was he part of the finney the finney uh, was he part of the finney was there a finney brother situation a Finney brother situation. Were there brothers? Who were the brothers in the 19th The Wesleys. Century? The Wesleys. Maybe the Wesleys. The, in the 18th. Um, oh, the Wesleys are earlier. Yeah. See, yeah. I, had, I had the Wesleys in the 1800s <laughs> in my mind. Uh, well, uh, so. Do they even live to 1801? <laughs> um, well, wait, wait. So hold on. Char- so Charles Wesley. Wesley um, would have. He No, he didn't. He didn't live till the 1800s. I don't think. I think he died before then. Oh, he died in 1788. Oh, Dang yes. It. Okay, good. Um, but yeah, so uh, the Wesley brothers would have been um, contemporaries with Whitfield. I see. They, they knew each other. I There's see. a really interesting history. And like Cotton Mather that. and people like that. I pictured them later. Why did I think that? I have no I idea. I don't know. That's really interesting. You don't have I to mean, explain why I have wrong ideas about American history. <laughs> <laughs> that's your own. That's, that's, yeah. um, Finney's that's later. for me. That's for me to deal with. Yeah. yeah. Finney is, is sort of the next generation of that. And I think you can see in the methods and the sensibilities of Finney, you can see that America as an idea, the United States as a country is, is growing mm-hmm. and um, their capacities that are facilitated by industrialization really I amp see. up what revivals mean. And I so see. they, you see a lot of experimentation with technology yeah. and worship spaces. Yeah. And so it, and, and just the entertainment value really starts to amp up I in see. this time period. Okay. So even more briefly, because now we're going to be more, most of our listeners and even, even, they're, even, they're even, even I, now. In, yes, we're, we're losing <laughs> listeners, but if you've hung on for this long, give us a quick recap. Billy Graham crusade. Now things get really yeah. explosive in the 20th century with the converts. Yes. I would, I would actually put in between then figures that I would put the Pentecostal revivals sure. of the early 20th century in there before I would go to Billy Graham. Only pointing out I'm not that the sure book, why they didn't, the book's author mentioned these three great religious moments in American history <laughs> to say more people have left church than came to church. 
if yes. you just made it even Christian I, during I would, all those periods. Th- oh, okay. That's interesting. Um, More so people yeah, left than came. We if just, there were like influential revivals, I would say you'd have to talk about the Pentecostals. They left out the Pentecostals. Who, uh, who, who would have known? I'm curious about that. Anyway, but uh, Billy Graham. They might not have in the book. Okay. Oh yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure going on partial excellent. knowledge here, yes. but you know, I'm, I'm taking the author's word for it as he spoke it live on a podcast. Billy so. Graham is a mid to late 20th century mm-hmm. revivalist preacher mm-hmm. who, um, a Baptist who was extremely skilled at harnessing the power of mass media yeah. to create um, uh, revival meetings that were a global phenomena that were uh, communicated through his mass media operation. Yeah. yeah. So there were TV shows, yeah. movies, kids programming, cri- books, yes, <coughs> radio, et cetera, et cetera. So in, in the, especially in the late 20th century, when you and I are formative years, yeah. there's nobody bigger than he did, Billy Graham. Had you seen Billy Graham live? Yes. Have you, oh, n- yes, I have. have no, you? I don't think so. I, oh, I might have. You know why? I might have. No, I don't think I did. There was a Billy Graham crusade in Portland, Oregon. Really? And Buck Williams, one of my favorite Portland trailblazers. Buck Williams kind of sounds like. Appeared at a Billy Graham. Wow. And so, of course, you better believe I was there. I'm looking up Buck Williams now. Oh yes, all all he sounds like a Wild West such... figure, but not not at all a Portland Trailblazer. Oh yeah, yeah, he was. I was a huge. We're fan. gonna give a link to Buck Williams's Yay. Wikipedia page because um, that just feels like <laughs> it's worth it. That's such an inside. There's like five people who are gonna get this. All right. <laughs> yeah, but I was so excited as a kid. So yes, yeah. I have seen Billy Graham. But in those days, he was an older fellow. When you watch him in the 60s and 70s it's really something to see you see his showmanship yeah. and his passion yeah. and he's this tall handsome well-spoken mm-hmm. man with like a southern lilt so it sounds folksy and inviting yeah you know he just he put it all together he had a beautiful wife and family and just really yeah, yeah. you know I, I i i can't think of anybody in the united states that was bigger than him yeah just a very very big deal Okay, so, what do these things all have to do? Well, okay. Here's now the turn. Oh, I meant the turn. Yes. Here's now the turn. Okay. I got to put those buttons for the scary and the harp not near each other anymore. <laughs> then that will cause endless confusion. <laughs> Welcome to my life, as sad as it is. Um, okay, let me ease into this. Okay. Because this is... This I, is it's a, like I'm feeling trepidation right now. Okay, good, good. <laughs> I like that. Um. I had, there was something, I, I, you know, as they say, an experienced analyst only needs one data point to spot a trend. Mm. <laughs> kind of a joke, but you know, mm. you get it, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And here was my, here was my one moment in the sun where I spotted one data point. Okay. And I declared it a trend and this was years ago. <laughs> and I'm sure there could have been a way to know this. I'm partly okay. joking when I'm pumping myself <laughs> up here just to say, but okay. I spotted one data point and I okay. called it a trend. Okay. And it was this. I had heard about an informal church group, Christian group around the Denver, Colorado area that had done their own kind of research. I'm sure it wasn't up to the level of a social scientist. Right, it was right. not Ryan Burge. It was not Leah Payne. <laughs> Let's just say it was a, a local church group. They were kind of like probably some like post evangelicals, okay. not, not ex-evangelicals, but trying to, you know, the kind of people who are like, let's just cultivate faith in a new place. And what right. does it mean to be faithful right. in this, in this secular city? And let's plan a church and let's have coffee and right. let's do life together. And you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But they're basically like a conservative evangelical group trying to get uh-huh. a church going yes and they had done their own kind of of looking around like market research market research and just by interviewing hundreds of people okay who had left 
church. Interesting. Per the title of the book, The Great Dechurching. And here's what they found that I, I, I thought was so fascinating. And I just made like a kind of, a, a kind of um, pillar in my mind around this idea. And then this is where it'll get to, to get to the plot twist. And that was specifically, namely this. They found, they were expecting, they were getting so ready. They were stealing their hearts and kind of taking a deep breath to get ready to hear hundreds of people tell them how terrible that they left yeah. churches because of their terrible pastor who endorsed Trump. This was like after 2016. Okay. And also all of the insert every culture war issue right here, right now. Sure, sure. And also, you know, that people were abused, that people were hurt, that their kids weren't safe, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And the shocker was they found very little of this. What they found instead was the following people in that area just left church because they found really just to go out to brunch with their girlfriend or their husband or whatever, mm -hmm. or to just go and watch a sports game that their kids were playing in or just to take a walk. I mean, have you ever been around Denver? I mean, what a gorgeous place at it the SBL last year, I rented a car through like the Airbnb of car rentals called Turo. And yes. I drove someone else's car out to the garden of the gods and I did a trail run. That and I went to the Manitou exactly incline. Like Brian's idea of a good time. That's what I did. <laughs> oh, sorry. Right? It, at least kicking me under the table. Okay. <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to. Um, we're, just, we're getting into it here. Yep. Okay. So, and they were like, yeah, they found that that was the reason. And which I thought, oh, it just, it raised so many fascinating and hard questions about faith and about what it is that faith has become that just to take a walk in nature now gives you so much more than to even be at a church service. But the main point, I will belabor it no longer, and I apologize for my manner, is that of the 40 million people who left church in their research, they found that 30 million of these people left, what they, they called them people who left casually. Oh, okay. They did not leave because of any conflict. They did not leave because they were upset. They didn't leave angry. They just kind of faded away. Whereas 10 million people of the 40 million, they were mad. They were mad about insert culture war issue. They were oh, mad. Oh, okay. They, they, the, the, but the 30 million who left, left for the following reasons. They, they, were ca they, they left casually or they left because they moved or they left because there was some change in their family, perhaps a divorce, perhaps right, a right. new child, perhaps an sure. you know, just something. And the fascinating thing there, because everybody who just thinks about this casually thinks the reason people are leaving church is because they're offended. It's all culture war stuff. It's all about the doctrines. It's like, it's all because the pastor believes the earth is 6,000 years old, but we know evolution is true. And so how dare you? And really it turns out that is not the driving motivational thing. And I've been saying this for years in just casual conversation with people saying, what is it about just our lives that means that just going for a walk or going out for brunch or just moving and just kind of not connecting is the real reason that people leave church. And it's not because of these other big, it's not the headline things. It's these other quieter reasons. And that was what their research found. So I felt sort of validated because I'd been like shooting off my mouth like, about Listen that. Listen here, young people. Theory, and I, I wanted to just propose that to you, present that and say, I don't know, like what, what, what do you make of that as an explanation that there, what, oh, what do you gosh. make of that? This is the argument of the book. Yes. The churching book. Yeah. I mean, this is the argument of their, this is their data. Shows yes. This, show I, this. I mean, that seems that, that seems exactly what I would. Ex okay. I'm having so many thoughts, yeah, you just know, hearing you. Any um, of them at all. This is kind of like one of those TBD, kind of like to be continued topics because yeah, clearly I, yeah, we, we never leave do... the, the de-churching topic is evergreen because it keeps happening and it's, it, it is one of the most major religious stories of our lifetime. Yes. And I, I mean, I think a lot about, okay, so one thing I, I think about, what were they leaving? Mm -hmm. So what was the 
the religious community. I think it's interesting that it's not just Christian. So that mm-hmm. makes us, I think, should make us think a little bit more about mm. American religiosity sure. writ large, not just because, I mean, I, I study evangelical community, so I kind of hone in on the Christian angle. But mm-hmm. if this research includes non-Christian groups too. It does, it does. And I think that we have to think a lot about um, um, what what place does religious affiliation have in our culture? Mm-hmm. There's, there's um, an idea that because... I mean, like, what does it mean that we have a disestablished, um, I think what we'd have to ask ourselves, what does it mean that all institutional affiliation is in decline Mm -hmm. right now? Yeah. Bigger institutional story. Yes. So there's one thought is that there's a bigger institutional story. There's another thought about the, the Christian community specifically, what was Christian worship that they were leaving? Right. You know, so, um, there's all kinds of talk about what types of communities are better at retaining their people, people mm-hmm. who have high barriers to mm-hmm. get in, get out mm-hmm. or people who have low barriers. Uh. And one thought that I'm having is that this is coming on the heels of a gigantic movement to make it as easy as possible uh, to affiliate yes. and to have a, as low a punishment as possible. No for barriers. And you, you can't punish people for leaving your church because if other people hear that, then they don't want to be no. there. And, you know. and I've talked to pastors cause I teach a lot of religious leaders. Um, and a lot of times they will joke about how they have community pastor meetings and they all tell each other about the people who are like milling around in their religious communities. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if the same would be for, true for, it's probably harder because a lot Christianity is so dominant in the United States. But I wonder if we were talking about other religious communities, if we would hear the same thing, which is that people just kind of mill, you know, they just kind of mill around. So right. there's like, what, that's the question that I have. What was it before there was, when you're going to Christian worship, what are you going for? Right. And then why is that so easy to leave? Right. That is a question well, that I have. Yes, it gets in there's there's a big like chicken and egg kind of problem here. I think I'm hearing in what you're saying implicitly, which is like if on the one hand we have a society in which you have Amazon and Netflix and you can one thing I love about YouTube TV, you can just subscribe and unsubscribe at any time. Just no the problem. barrier is low, yes. you just click. Yep. If you have a world like that and if that if that world of if if the material world we live in, if the economic world we live in is totally oriented around this or uh, that and 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 trains us in the ways of the consumer, that's just how I expect my whole life to be. And right. I, I'm going to expect my church to be like that too. And it's like, how am I supposed to disengage from that unless I go all like Benedict option and move out to the country, which by the way, one of the most stunning things about the Benedict option, it has been said, is that very few people want to <laughs> do the Benedict option. So, well, that one is a confusing, you know, you know what that okay. is a reference that's a, that's to. That's an inside so joke. Okay. Let's, we should, I should have left that out. It's not monastic life, okay, but, but anyhow. But it's this idea that you move out with your kind of like medieval community out to a hamlet and just live a pure life outside of this, all this stuff. But you know, that's hard to do. And people don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I haven't done it. So the issue is like, now you expect your church to be that way too. And now this thing comes in that you said, the low barrier. It's like, oh no, these people are just going to leave us. There's a church right across the street. They're basically competing with us on with their podcast and their YouTube channel. And it's like, exactly. we have to be. So now you have to play this game and you can't you can't get all like mad and about people leaving. You just have to kind of play the game like you play it economically like a store. That, right. But and that, you're asking though, what's the solution? Like what's the other way to do it? Is there is there another way? Like 
Yes, I mean, I realize that most pastors here, if they were strategizing based on this podcast alone, which many are. They'd be like, thanks for nothing. They'd be like, thanks for nothing. <laughs> or they'd be like, no, what we need to do is create a high barrier to entry, create a huge, but it's like, yeah, good luck. We'll see that's the thing is good luck in a market driven. Try to do that. Um, so I Let think us know how it goes. <laughs> most religious communities in the United States are so beholden to American marketing culture. It's mm -hmm. very difficult to do that. Yeah. And then when you do do it, some people go to just very extreme lengths that I think most of us, we don't use the, the phrase cult here. But if we I were do. to talk about. Leah doesn't use that phrase. <laughs> if we were I'm to talk continue. about the kind of extreme lengths that some groups go to. Um, might draw the attention, I don't know, law yeah. enforcement, yeah. but, but so it, it's a conundrum. It <laughs> you really is. You have a church is, police, like an active police force, can which I is say, your church. Right. Can I say adding to that is the role that the style of worship that a lot of at least Christian communities, um, seem to prefer, especially evangelical type communities, which is yeah. mega church oriented communities, which are in the, the structure of them is, um, it is such that it encourages more casual affiliation. Mm -hmm. And so as smaller kind of more parish driven uh, churches, mm -hmm. as they kind of languish in this model, the type of intimate community building that, that those communities sort of specialize in mm -hmm. is, is not, I mean, it's just not in favor. Mo yeah. You know, mega churches seem to be consolidating. It's like they're operating how markets operate. Right. They seem to be consolidating. Right. And those kinds of congregations require less and less affiliation. And right. so. So why, yeah, why affiliate? I, um, a personal, a personal memory. Okay. A personal thought to close. Okay. I, I read this book, by the way. Yeah. The, the, one of the authors, uh, Michael Graham, who was on the podcast when I listened to him talking about it, he said that they had one real, so what's the solution then for people? It's like one thing they suggest is like, start inviting people to church. People are not against church. So invite them. Oh, that's interesting. I got emotionally agitated though. Cause I imagine being an adolescent, being in like youth group told I needed to invite people to church. <laughs> and like, I was filled with here's anxiety. Here's this WWJD bracelet, young Brian. Filled with Get anxiety. out there, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Brian with an eye. That can't be the solution. <laughs> Isn't there, can't we do something else? <laughs> This has been a production of Weird Religion. A podcast for people who know religion is weird but love it anyway. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Follow us into the ocean. Allow your heart to blossom. Retreat into the gorgeous and haunted forests of your mind. Find us there. <laughs>